I am unashamed. What about you? So on, when I was out of town last week filming for our show, I, I bumped into a series of fortunate events, I guess, a country music singer. And he was inviting us to come look at it, at his place because he heard we were in town, a small town, out in the middle of nowhere. So I was like, eh, okay, let's go look at it. And uh, so we go over there, and it was shocking. About five or ten minutes into this conversation, I'm like, this guy hadn't said one cuss word. He doesn't seem real arrogant which was, you know, most famous people that you, that we've run up on, you're like, oh, oh boy. You know, it just goes to their head. But as the day went on, I was like, well, man, this was the treasure of this venture, meeting this guy. His name was Aaron Watson. Have you ever, have you ever heard of him, Al? Country music singer, aren't you a country music buff? I I am not, Jace. I had a little small rebellious phase when I was in high school with the uh, the old outlaw country, but I I haven't kept up with modern country music, so I am not aware of this person. Well, he had a fantastic property, and we enjoyed it. And uh, I, of course, I was more impressed, which because I, I found out he's a believer, and he didn't really go about the way to become a star like everybody else. He just he writes his music and sings it. And I mean, he was selling his CDs out of the back of his truck, you know, when he was, went through college and he just, that's just what he does. But he, it, it was, it was an incredible story just about how to become successful without really going the typical way. He just, if you're good at something, which I was thinking, and I mean, he was obviously giving credit to the Lord. I mean, I just feel like everybody has something they're good at. And if you decide to make it a platform for your faith and the Lord and, and be unapologetic about it, I just believe the Lord blesses you. But I will say this. I mean, this guy was a storyteller that rivals Uncle Si. I mean, great, like, story after story. But, I mean, the difference was most of these seem true where Cy, you're like oh, i don't know I don't, <laughs> I don't know about you your uncle Cy tells that story about he's running so fast that his tennis shoes exploded into flames because the friction that it caused i mean you know that come on now <laughs> but i thought i'd share that because it's always nice because i know how difficult it is you know fame and and fortune or can be spiritual killers but it's nice to meet somebody famous who's using it for something better and hasn't exchanged their character. I need to see if I can get him. I wonder if he'll come on the podcast. I'm, I'm going to see if I can make that happen. He gave me his number, so I'll, I'll, I'll say. I just thought he had a neat story, you know? And so I was, going, I was like, I want to share that. You, you can do things the right way and be successful. You don't have to exchange. You know, I was talking about Judas uh, in the last podcast. You, you don't have to exchange, you know, exchange your character and your integrity and morals to try to be successful in life in shady ways, you know. Yeah, who's the little blonde-headed chick from Tennessee, uh, uh, the country singer that's 50-year, Dolly Parton? 
Yeah, I saw her on about an hour show yesterday, and uh, she kept her faith intact. Uh, her husband, no, no, few people have ever seen him, but he's there. No divorces, no, no, no friction, no, no bad years that come across. And but she just stayed the course, and she was celebrating her fiftieth, fifty years with the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah, which is it was, rare. It was pretty interesting that she kept her faith and she ended it all up, you know, which is pretty good in lieu of the podcast I think we did last time. Well, you got to have something. Love. Yeah, you got to have something character you know, driven, Phil, because you're basically, you know, let's face it, most when it comes to being famous, it's usually a flash in the pan. That's right. And so why, I mean, why turn your back on your character and your morals and, and in our case, you know, Jesus for something you're going to lose anyway. Mm-hmm. And eventually you will lose it in death or just eight. The, the way time, time is. I looked at her house where she was raised in Tennessee, Jace, and it was just an old rundown shack, you know, just to know about what you'd see in Matt Dillon, one of their episodes, just out there in the middle of nowhere. But, uh, I, I told Miss Case because Miss Case said that's that's the kind of house you were raised in. I said, "Yep." So, but she came from a family of about ten or twelve kids with this dream. She's going to be a singer one day, and for a while, her uncle, I think it was, would drive her down to the Grand Ole Opry, and she'd she'd look at all of them, you know. But she ended up, I mean, fifty years. She ends it all up by saying, I'll always love you. You know, that song, I will always love you. She, she, she sang that song, you know. But, uh, but the girl, I give her credit. The woman, she could sing. She still can. So she's rolling around here, 50 at Grand Ole Opry. So that'd make her about 70, probably. She's probably in her 70s now. But she's... Uh, she stood up well, is all I can say, but she stayed the course, the spiritual course, and she was blessed mightily. Well, and that thing about it though, Dad, she she had she you mentioned she had roots. Yep. She she had family, she had accountability. She still has been super successful business wise in that same area where she's always been because a lot of people that work for her have been a part of her life and her, you know, group for all these years she's done it. So you mentioned about how you maintain that. And Jason's talking about, you know, cause most time you, you are, we've been disappointed a lot of times in people we've met because you, you know, you enjoy their work, you enjoy their music or their own movies, but then you meet them and it's just like, eh. I mean, it's just, there's not a lot there, but she's the kind of person you're right. The longevity, the ones who have done it, not only had, did she have a great talent, but she stayed grounded in something real. And so that's the thing, you know, you don't want to start, you know, believing in a make-believe world that you're something that you're not. That's what happens a lot of times with people in Hollywood. You know, they, they, they play all these amazing characters, so they get to thinking they're a big deal, but not really. You're just from someplace like everybody else. You, but when you try to live in a make-believe world, then you'll start having make-believe everything. By the and way, use it. It th- that was her message, well. what you just said. That was her message. She just, reality stayed with her, you know. Her faith remained intact. There was never any period of time when she was down in the dumps and on drugs and all to tell that story. No, not, not for her. She stayed the course. 
And boy, did she ever make a lot of money doing it. Well, it was kind of ironic that, I mean, because she's been open about, you know, plastic surgery and she's like, hey, I'm all for tucking and pulling. Oh, and, she does. Kinda, she does. Which the fact that she acknowledges that, but I'm like a woman who's known for maybe her physical attributes, you know, the the spiritual qualities is what really made her successful. That is true. And I mean, some of the things I read one time about her, she they had given, I mean, millions of books to like kids and uh, I forgot what kind of project it was. I think it was called Imagination Project or whatever. But you, you just see good things that happen and you're like, okay, here's somebody who's doing something worthwhile with the, the fame that they have. So I thought I'd share that. Whenever I see something like that, Dad, do you remember the? Uh, do you remember where she got her start? I remember. I, I remember watching her as when I was a kid. I mean, I'm like eight years old. Do you, Do you remember where she started? What show she started on? Uh, heard of Porter Wagner. Remember old Porter Wagner? Porter Wag Wagner. Yeah. Hmm. That was it. That's exactly right. It was the Porter Wagner show. That you, and of course, I used to watch that when I was with my great grandmother, Nanny, who's mom's grandmother. So we would watch Lawrence Welk, uh, Porter Wagner, you know, all those shows from the early 70s, but they would showcase these people. But I still remember she came out and sang that first time, and old Porter and the band, you know, they all got the matching suits, usually some kind of oh, yeah. red or crazy color. And, and they're playing behind her. And they're like, we got this young, you know, young woman from Tennessee. Welcome to Miss Dolly Parton, you know. And she comes out. And she's got the hair and the, you know, as Jay oh, said, yeah. the, uh, the quite the the look. <laughs> but I still remember that. I still remember that as a kid, fifty years ago. I was seven years old, I guess. Yep. Well, Dolly, you've done well, girl. Yeah, I think I was into the Sha Na Na. Remember them? Yeah. <laughs> you remember that show? I used to go they around. Had, I put my oh yeah, they had the bass my, guy. Yeah, I put my muscle up. I'd be like, do, 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 do. I mean, I, I went through like two years of that. Yeah, that was the only time I got caught up in just a fad. Yeah, the white T-shirt. You know that later on you claim you invented. Yep. But uh, it could have been worse, Jace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did say, Dad, whenever I was – I forgot to mention this in the last overtime when I was throwing out the word greatest in culture that that I believe that my era of the 70s, and you probably back me up on this, was probably the greatest decade for rock music that's ever been before oh, yeah. or after. A, you know, yep. I feel pretty confident saying that was the greatest era for rock music. It started in the late 60s, but the 70s, you know, until we got to 80s music was, was to me, the ultimate. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a repeat of, of that whole volume of entertainers. I don't think there's going to be a repeat of those guys. They got old and the music left with them. So uh, today we're getting back into Second uh, Corinthians. We've moved over, if you hadn't been listening for a few podcasts, over to Second Corinthians, which is uh, still got some challenging stuff in it, but it's much less pointed uh, and sharp uh, would be the words I would use that Paul was in First Corinthians because he was dealing with some, some of their specific issues. So the second letter comes in, and I would say it's much more focused on, on the ministry. 
that they're trying to accomplish uh, in the city of Corinth. And so we looked at it, and it's got a very short, compared to the first Corinthians, a very short open, but there it is again, grace, which we talked about that last time, JC, always begins and ends with grace, you know, any, any book, which is, which is if something we, just we should put think that about. that one forward, principle, you know, yeah, into life, I mean, you begin and end, and in our churches, uh, you know, speaking of another guy who's handled fame well, uh, T- Tim Tebow, when I met him, felt the same thing. But I saw a, a message somebody screenshot and sent me, but it said uh, a church should be a hospital for the broken, not a museum for good people. He had, I think it was on Twitter, he had tweeted that out. But it had thousands of like likes and comments and shares, and I thought, okay, but that's that's the concept of you you're extending God's grace in the church as many problems as especially spelled out in First Corinthians. He began with grace and he ended with grace, and he really chastised them. I mean, he really got on them about several issues. But you got to remember, the church is a group of broken, flawed people. Only by the grace of God can you be redeemed. But you can through Jesus, and you can you can function, and God can use you individually as a part of a whole to represent Him, and you know His wonders, His powers, His forgiveness, His grace in in your life. Oh, you're right, Jace. Let's take a break. So, you know, guys, uh, we've talked quite a bit about this uh, war in Europe and how it's really just kind of created chaos, I think, more than anything else, not only just, you know, in Ukraine itself, uh, but all over the world because it, it affects everybody. And so even in our country, people are trying to, you know, sort of figure that out. But, I, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but chaos favors thieves a lot of times, or at least the evil one. That's when he uses a lot of his, you know, schemes is during this idea of chaos. And so one of the things that we've seen that happen with is, is Home Title Lock, one of our sponsors, is the chaos that these hackers and thieves, they're able to go in during times like this, especially even more so it explodes uh, and they steal your title for your home off the Internet because it's being kept somewhere digitally. Uh, so they go in, they take it, they take all these loans out, they steal all the equity and money in your home and you get stuck uh, with the bill. And so it's, it's a terrible thing. It happens every day. So what we want you to do is be able to protect yourself and your family. And so what you do is you go to HomeTitleLock.com and make sure that you're not already a victim uh, to to be able to protect your most important assets. So go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com and protect the title to your home. And and to prove that point, so we when we started in 2 Corinthians, the last time we were in this text, we were in uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And in that, he talked about, he starts with this idea of comfort because of all the difficulties that he's gone through personally, Paul. But then he talks about how that all the only reason all that stuff happened 
was so that he could then extend God's comfort to other people. And so I almost think it was a, almost a soothing beginning to this letter to to the people at Corinth, you know, because he he was pretty hard on them, you know, through the pro, through the process of trying to teach them and, and get them out of some other ways. But he comes back with the idea that, you know, God is there to comfort us. And he wants us to, to understand that even when we go through hard times, we do that because it makes us stronger and better and it helps us to help other people. So that's kind of where we left off uh, heading into to verse 12 into this next section. Yeah, one of the points he brings up and, I, and you get to looking at it logically, you say, why would he do that to these people? His spokesman, why would he why would he let let them get to the point of. You're going to be slaughtered for what you're doing. He said, uh, <clears throat> we were under great pressure down in by verse eight, far beyond what our ability to endure. Now, God's putting this on them so that we despaired even of life. I mean, they're, they're, these people in the Roman Empire have gone nuts. They picked to kill us. Indeed, our hearts, we felt in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. We're going to get killed doing this, representing Jesus. But this happened, God let it happen, that we might not rely on ourselves because they, you, you, you can't resurrect yourself. you got to be hooked to God and when, when resurrection is concerned. This happened to us. They, 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 they said, we're, we're fixed to get killed so that we might not rely on ourselves because actually, what are you going to do? The authorities have got a hold of you, but on God who raises the dead and he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him. We've set our hope that we, that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So it's it's like I've been telling everybody I see with white whiskers. Now, a lot of our audience, I want you guys to go get a mirror and look at them and look at yourself and look at the color of your whiskers. And my admonition to them is that when you see the gray whiskers, the resurrection looms larger <laughs> so for some reason when you said that i think all right here's a guy he's staring in the mirror and his wife came in she's like what are you doing he's like well mr phil told me to look in the mirror and think about the resurrection <laughs> it's looming larger and the gray whiskers don't lie they say it's coming we're better off than these than the apostle paul and timothy and the one that was with him preaching the gospel to the Corinthians, they were looking at it like, boy, we, 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 we thought there's no way we're going to live out of there. They're going to kill every one of us. But, you know, he said he did that so we would rely not on ourselves because we can't, we don't have the power to raise ourselves, but we, we follow the one who can. And he said, that's how we live. What my, my point is, that's pretty good to the Corinthians or the people now in modern day America. I mean, life is short. I mean, this 75 years I've lived, Al, I mean, it's like snapping your finger. I mean, just, I'm like, good night, I just got here. But 
here we are, and with each passing day, y'all don't forget this, because when you get ready to, I go into the casket, just remember, if there's no resurrection of the dead, we are done, done. You see what I'm saying? Only shot we yeah. got. This is it. Jesus, him crucified and raised from there. He raises the dead, he said. That's what, that's what carried us. So when you yeah. get right down to it, as each passing day, diseases come and this comes and aches and pains and ole, and the, you say, man, that resurrection, it's beginning to loom bigger and bigger and bigger. I'd rather be there than to be there without any hope. Well, I love in the first chapter, Al, it seems like he's trying to get them to be, you know, fulfill the Great Commission in some way and let, mm -hmm. you know, that God is doing the delivering, mm -hmm. which I love that. It's like, when did that stop? God's still delivering people today who have put their faith and trust in him. He's also acknowledging that if you live a public faith in the world, you're going to suffer. Yeah. But he's also going to comfort you. And he said and, it. He said, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. Because exactly. what are you going to do about it? I mean, you're like, well. And he also shows <laughs> that prayer is effective then and now because you're you're asking God to deliver you and, and he will. So then when he gets to verse 12, you know, I, I, what stood out to me is this phrase about the difference in the way we function with the world. But he, he says in the second part there of chapter one, verse 12, we have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. And all he was doing is, is commenting on how we conduct ourselves in the world. And he's eventually going to get out of here where one of my favorite paragraphs in second Corinthians is he, he starts saying when he came to him in verse 17, he says, I didn't make my plans in a worldly manner. Cause he's already said there's a difference in worldly wisdom basing basing your decision and your daily decisions and your plan basing it on worldly wisdom versus God's grace. And so then he says, or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no. And you're like, what, what exactly is he talking about? And evidently there was some underlying backstory to this. But then he clarifies saying, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. By the way, Jace, he started that out by saying, we do not write, after you talk about the grace of God, we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. This is not rocket science. It's his point. Mm -hmm. This is, this is, this is the way it is. Everything's yes. You say yes. Yes. 
I well, will live on. Well, look at what he's doing, though. He says, okay, he says God is the God of comfort there in the first few verses. Then he's like, God is a deliverer. He, he will deliver us. He says, God is God of grace. Then he's like, God is faithful. He says that in verse 18. Then he says, God is a promise keeper. When he said, no matter how many promises he made, they're, they're yes. Yep. And uh, this is all in the context of the world causing you suffering and pain. Reminds me of that song that says, it may look like that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by him. What is that song? Uh, I said, this is how I fight my battles. What you got, Al? Sorry. Let's take a break. So in the spiritual warfare, I mean, he's saying, look, this is not going to be based on your performance. I mean, it's a good point, Phil, to, to bring that out. But we don't have to rely on ourselves, but on God who ultimately raises the dead. And I just thought here, you know, when God made that, when Peter acknowledged the promise, you remember when the Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2 and, and Peter preaches the gospel and the people were cut to the heart and he, they said, what do we do? And they repented and they were baptized and they received the Holy Spirit, which which goes into this verse 21. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Well, in that Acts 2, whatever it is, 40 or 41, it says this promise is for you and for all who are far off. And, Your children. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these, even churches today, they're looking for this spirit to, to be dropped out of heaven this was a this was a promise. The spirit got was poured out and there's no difference now than then. It's available. You you share Jesus and you surrender and you can have God's spirit in in your heart. And that's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Well, what is that? Well, worldly wisdom would say a coffin or perhaps if you're lucky, some energetic experience where you absorb with the atmosphere and continue this non-visible existence with no way to express itself. But God is saying here through Paul, no, this spirit is guaranteeing what is to come, which is eternal life. I mean, whatever promises you can come up with, because when it said all promises made by God are yes in Christ. So I don't know if you want to list some of those off the top of your head, but eternity is definitely one. Uh, I've freed you, the truth, Jesus. Deliverance. Yeah. I, I've, I've delivered you from Satan. You say, how do you feel about that? You say, you ought to jump up and down. I've delivered you from sin. I've delivered you from the guilt of it all. I've delivered you from law having to be perfect. I kept it, then died to get you out from under it, cancel the written code. And finally, I've guaranteed you that you can be raised from the dead. You have it all. So I think those would can, all if be you yes. Can keep it. 
those would all be yes in Christ. Because that oh, 20 yes. says, for no matter how many promises God has made, which really the promises, would you say it's fair to say the promises are the qualities of God? So if he's eternal, he's going to make us eternal. It, it, he's just, so he promises justice. He's love, so he promises love. He's trying to get him to see, I've come to give you peace. Peace. Peace of mind. I've come to give you that. And here's what I've done to prove that. And it's right there in front of you. So you should never feel alone. You are never alone. I'm always there. So it makes me feel better. Uh, That's another good promise. He promises community, not only with him, but with each other. And even to the point of death, we live in a uh, a culture and a country that uh, is a constitutional republic, but we're operating under another kingdom, Jesus being the king, and it, it's it's it gives us what governments can't give us. They can't remove our sin, and governments can't raise us from the dead. So here we are. And and to your to your point, Jace. All of the promises of God, with Him being immortal and eternal, will once realized be ours throughout eternity. I mean, that's the beauty of it. Is when, you know, once you cross over and you remove sin out of the equation from ever from any anything or anybody, you've created the ultimate existence, which is what we're all striving for. You know, Jay's, you mentioned the the bigger point of this section. And in, in you're right in everything that you said. The smaller point in, in the context of it, this whole section, is to me, it's kind of a weird personal thing. He's having this discussion with the Corinthians because they're upset that he didn't stop by and see him. I mean, that's the backdrop of this whole yeah. section of scripture right here. He, he, cause he explains that a little bit later. He said, I know I was going to try to come and see you before. And then also on the way back through, but it didn't happen. And then he's kind of defending himself by saying, look, I'm a man of integrity. I don't, when I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. But, but things happened that I couldn't make it. So it's really interesting because his defense of just a simple travel matter really well, it, opened up yeah. this discussion for this whole bigger narrative, you know? Well, he launches into, you're right, because it's like, it's not about yes and no. Oh, should I have stopped and visited you? No. You're, using, you're applying worldly wisdom to that. But you think about how many people sit around and have these huge arguments over small details, travel or whatever that we get way too enthusiastic about. And so he turns that around into saying, Everything should be about yes in Christ. I I love this because I think in my mind it's a picture of putting yourself under law or under grace. Because under law, you you want to know the rules. What am I supposed to do? And usually as human beings, we want to do the least amount possible (laughs) to, to enter and tell me what I shouldn't do. And then he like turns that argument on its head and says, it's always yes in Christ. He, he turned it as an illustration to say, you should be worried about more weighty matters, which is Jesus. How many promises you have in him and about yes, 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 yes. And he mentions it, it, uh, it guarantees Jesus what's to come. You have the guarantee. Well, that's yeah. pretty soothing. 
Well, it's like I was just thinking, you remember when Nancy Reagan had the and look, I'm not I'm not saying this was a bad idea necessarily, but remember the campaign on the just say no to drugs? And everybody's like, oh, just say no. There were bumper stickers there. But in the real world, when you think about it, what's the next question? So if somebody says no to drugs, what's the next question in a practical street corner situation? Well, why not? Well, if you don't have Jesus in the equation, he's the reason you would say no. So, and, and I think in that point is the greater point here. If you're saying yes to Jesus... Well, of course you're gonna you're gonna say no to drug. Your drug of choice is Jesus. I mean, he offers highs from a spiritual perspective that's way better than anything you can manipulate in a physical way. And so, I think it's like turning that illustration or the Nancy Reagan. That's kind of what he did about not visiting. He brings it up another level, saying, "Look what you have in Christ." Let's take another break. You're right, Jason. And the other thing about that is it just because you say no to one thing, what are you going to say yes to next? In other words, if we make it just a drug deal or some other thing right. you can insert there, you, you, you're saying no to one thing, but there's another thing you got to then say no to as well, because it's not just one thing that destroys. So, you know, without Jesus, without the yes, without the ultimate yes of who rules my life, that takes care of the nose if you trust in the yes. Well, right. Then you don't have to rely on yourself, which is where he started this letter. Because, look, I wasted. I mean, that sounds horrible, but it's true. I mean, I was immature and stupid. I wasted the first two years of my Christian life because I thought that being a follower of Jesus was not doing wrong. I was relying on myself. I had completely missed what I was because because. Deep down, I didn't want to be public for Jesus. Because when you do that, what happens? Persecution, suffering, people falsely accusing you, which is now we've just, we have this happen now on a daily basis. And uh, that's probably the number one question I get asked when I go around and do events and all. They're like, well, how do you handle all this? But it just comes with it. If you make a public declaration, that Jesus is real and he's Lord and I've put my faith and trust in him and I'm going to live forever. I mean, you're just going to be persecuted. People are going to back up the trucks on, and just unload on you. That That's what I, he's addressing here, which is everyone is a little fearful of that because everybody likes to be liked and likes people to say nice things about you. But unfortunately, if you choose a life in Christ and you rely on his power, something that is guaranteed to come with that is persecution, suffering. And in this case, in the Bible narrative, possibly death. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, And, you know, Jace, it's not the when we think when you use the word comfort or comfortable, in our culture, in our society, in our world, outside of Christianity. It's a whole different concept that people are thinking about. And they want that. People are like, oh, yeah, I don't want to have to work. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But the whole context of what Paul's talking about here is the comfort comes from something that happens because you are something 
more uh, than than what than, than most people are striving to be. So it's a whole different it's a whole different use of that word, really. Uh, he's mm-hmm. not saying I want you comfortable. He's like, I want you active. And when you're active, you're going to need comfort because it will not be pleasant. I mean, and his whole description is about unpleasantries. You know, there's an underlying theme in this book and also carried over from first Corinthians that there were people in Corinth that were giving Paul a really hard time. I mean, he had some detractors and accusers and because he keeps having to defend himself and, you know, he's doing it here in this context. So he had some people that were seriously after him. And we don't know all the details because we're not getting the questions. We're just getting the answers. But somebody was giving Paul a hard time in the city of Corinth and in the church. Yeah. Yeah, And he eventually, after that section where he focused on Jesus and and having the Holy Spirit, then he goes into these personal stressful moments and pain that they're causing him all in that situation. But I mean, I got to commend him he was trying to get the greater truth out, which is that no matter how many promises God has made. And after he said he, as surely as God is faithful, our message is yes in Christ. That's what we're about in every situation. That's what they should be doing. That's what we should be doing. The, the great commission in Matthew 28, I mean, it wasn't a suggestion. It was the reason and God's purpose for our life here and for him and dwellness. He, 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 we are housing the spirit of God. Well, that's just not going to be able to be a silent thing. I mean, there are moments of peace and meditation and, but it's all there. So you can declare to the world that there is a way to, and a, and a being to say yes to that's all positive. It's not about trying to figure out, Every situation on is it a yes or no question? You 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 funnel Jesus as the way to filter all life's decisions through that. I mean that's that's what we do. I mean somebody was close when they said what would Jesus do, but I think it should be what is what is he doing in, in me right now? That's the way he functions. No, I agree. And especially once you look at his word, that's why I think that this this section and Jace, the, to culminate what you mentioned about him personally in chapter two, verse four, he said, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. So when he's describing his his heart and his mindset when he's writing these letters. I mean, it, it's a heavy, heavy thing on the apostle Paul for this group of people. I mean, he loves them deeply, but there's, there's so many flaws and difficulties and people that are after him there. It, he's really having a hard time with, 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 you know, staying true to who he has to be. And, and he's struggling with that. I mean, and, and I love it because to me, the best thing out of this whole context in this passage is that when we struggle with people and mistakes and somebody does something to us, whatever, church battles, all the things that happen, we're no different than the Apostle Paul. I mean, it's common to man to have detractors and accusers. Exactly. Let's take another break. Exactly. And even, you know, when he gets to the next paragraph and he's like about we're there's going to be somebody in church 
and I say in church as in part of our family, that they're going to do you wrong. And at some point in marriage, in our church, at your workplace, for you to go on, you're going to have to forgive or be forgiven. And he gets into that when he was said, you know, in verse nine of chapter two, the reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive them. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I mean, he was forgiven even if he wasn't sure that he should be forgiving. If there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order. And I think this is the key, key moment here in order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. So when Exactly. That's who's causing all the pain and suffering and, and discomfort. That's why when you tie it in with Ephesians 6, it's like our struggle is not against flesh and blood. They're trying to make it out of flesh and blood. Well, I can't believe you didn't come see us. I mean, what's your problem? And he's, he's having to write these letters and chastise them, and he's anxious, and he's shedding tears, and he's forgiven, even where he's not sure he should be forgiven because he realized the greater picture. The evil one does not like people who go out there and declare the truth about Jesus. Plus, without, if you, if you don't look at this carefully, uh, you'll, you'll say, <clears throat> if, if your allegiance to God, <clears throat> if your allegiance to God, it's just kind of a, a routine you go through. Sunday morning you go in, you sit there, your neighbor's on your right and your left, you can't see the ones behind you. You don't interact that much. And a lot of things can be going on. But if that's all you have, what about all these texts here on your day-to-day -day response to all the events that can come your way on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, far away from a church building? It's how they live their life all the time. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's why he said Satan came out with us. So it's way more than showing up at a church building, kind of yawning and getting through it and then getting out the door. Whoo! You know, like it's a relief when you walk out the door. So all these things here are day-to-day -day events that will never end. They'll always be there because in order that Satan might not outwit us. That's Monday to Monday and well after Sunday morning with your meetings. You see what I'm saying? Way, way bigger than that. And I like, I like the way that he framed that. How do, how do we get outwitted? It's because we're unaware of his schemes. In other words, you have to have a recognition that every time there's a scenario where there's chaos where there's anger and people get, and especially among believers when there's, you know, I mean, people just be having vitriolic, you know, tearing one another Arguments down. When you see all other. that happen. Oh, and what that means is somebody was very unaware that Satan crafted a scheme within this group of people that made it seem like all this ungodly, unchristlike behavior is warranted and should be done. I mean, you talk about missing the whole point. It, it happens all the time, which is so unfortunate. Yeah, and I think one of the answers to this problem is to 
You realize that every question, I mean, I said this when I taught junior high. I, I taught junior high for about 10 years at our church just because the the challenge of it all. People are like, what's wrong with these people? You know, the junior high age is is difficult. They're they're trying to figure out their identity. It's awkward, and so I try to teach them one principle, and I, I taught this verse over and over and over again, because I would ask them a question, no matter what question I asked, I asked tens of thousands of questions, and there was probably a handful of people that finally got it. Jesus was always the answer, no matter what the question was, even if you thought of something negative, well then he was the answer to overcoming that negative. And I, I I try to get that principle because at that age, they're trying to, they're like, give me the list. I want the list. Give me the basics on how I can do what I want to do on earth, but also make it to heaven in case this happens to be true. <laughs> so it's like if you never evolve from that <laughs> and get it to an actual being who will work in you and through you and with you and that you will be with, if you, you've got to get it off a of creed and onto the being, yep. and then you find your way in that, because I, I just really love how that's worded when he got into that. It's just not about yes and no. It's about yes in Christ. That is a very profound, life-altering fact of being a follower of Christ, that understanding what that means right there. Yeah, I talk to, I see these little friction things come up and somebody will come to me and say, you know, and they'll they'll mention somebody, they're not getting along with them over something that they said. I'm like, hey, just love each other, forgive each other, and let's, let's move on. It, it's, yeah, great. It's, so I usually say, what's it got to do with Jesus? That's right. And they're like, do what? No, you don't understand what was done to me. I give that advice to grown men and women all the time. I say, what do you? Yeah, I said you're you're just ruining the point of all this, and which is peace. So when I gave him a lesson on peace, I said, "Look, you know, in your house when you're married to your woman, how you getting along? I mean, is there peace in your house or is there friction?" I said, "You have to, you, you you can't go down that path." I'll give you another example of a verse like this that applies to this. You know, First Peter four one, because Peter bringing up the idea of being suffering for Christ. If you go out there and you make that public, wherever you're at, you're going to suffer. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. So he starts off saying, just like Christ suffered, you are to be like Christ. He's the answer. He's the answer to whatever question that, that comes up. And so as a result, you will not live the rest of your earthly life for evil human desires, Yep. but rather for the will of God. Yep. It's the same principle. So then it says, for you've spent enough time doing that, and it has all the sins listening, listed there. And they think it's strange that you don't plunge into them and they heap abuse on you. So when you make that declaration, the suffering is coming. But he actually says here, the underlying principle is, you're so busy being like Christ 
that the sin is is less common. Be, so it's like the best way not to do the things that you know you're not supposed to do, which would be the no, you know, yes and no, is to be like Jesus. It's like if you were, I'll give you a practical example. So when I did my little dating ministry, because I thought, well, i got to try to find somebody who will help me get to heaven. I want to find a woman who loves Jesus. So I would start the date off with a prayer and a declaration that I wasn't going to touch them in, in an inappropriate way. I was looking for somebody to help me get to heaven. and Well, that that immediately stopped any hanky-panky. Right? I mean, I started, I didn't realize that, but the byproduct of that is like, oh, he ain't, we're not going down that road because it was a declaration. I didn't realize that. It just came with the territory. You see what I mean? Yeah, so. we, we're, we love to hear Jesus forgave us of all our sins. The trouble we have is forgiving each other for all our sins. <laughs> we find that difficult knowing yeah. he died for us to forgive us. Exactly. <clears throat> now, you're exactly right. And uh, we're out of time. But in our overtime, I want to explore that because while y'all were talking, I wrote down there's there's four things that he mentions and how we do that to one another in this context. So I want to hit that in the overtime. Uh, so we'll see you next time. Unashamed. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.